Thanks to Total Wine, you saved more on all the gifts for the ones you adore. Wine spirits, beers all nestled on shelves. Got some advice from our helpful elves. Oh, so, so many gifts to explore when you go, go to Total Wine and more. Bottles so delightful, whoa, whoa, whoa. Priced so amazingly low, low, low. Love what you find. Always lowest prices at Total Wine and more. Delivery available. Drink responsibly, B21. Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Secrets of Scotland Yard with your host and narrator, Clive Brook. How do you do? This is Clive Brook. How good are your nerves? Are you calm, cool, and collected? Or are you apt to go to pieces in a crisis? Can you face a tricky situation serenely and come out of it unscathed? Or do you panic and get yourself into more and deeper trouble? Then you'll appreciate the behavior of Ronald Vivian Light. Ronald Light was an ex-officer of the British Army who had served his country honorably during the 1914-18 war. He had suffered from shell shock during the last full-scale German attack, and when he was released from the army, his nerves were in a pretty bad state. In 1919, he was an assistant master in mathematics at a school in Cheltenham, England. Our story begins on July the 5th of that year, a Saturday. Light had been out for a bicycle ride in the country. It was evening now, and he was returning to his home in Leicester, where he lived with his mother. He was a well-dressed, not unattractive man with intelligent, clear-cut features. He rode along at a leisurely pace and whistled as he went. I say! I'm sorry to bother you. Having some trouble? Oh, yes. It's this terrible old bike of mine. The front wheel's always coming loose. I wonder, have you got a spanner in your toolkit? Yeah, I think so. Just a second, I'll see. Oh, thanks awfully. Now then, what needs doing? Oh, don't you bother. I'm used to it. I can fix it in a moment. No, no, I insist. It's this boat here, isn't it? Yes. Well, it's terribly kind of you, I'm sure. No trouble at all. I'm always glad to be able to oblige a lady. And a very attractive lady in this case, if I may say so. Oh, uh, you needn't do it up any tighter. Yes, that's fine. Well, thank you very much. Well, let's go along together, shall we? I'm heading to Leicester. All right. I have to leave you at Gorby. It's the next village. Is that where you live? No, but I'm dropping into my uncle's house to pick up some things. It's ever such a nice little cottage in Galby. Your front wheel's steady now? Oh, yes, you made it nice and tight. I had a flat tire this afternoon. Got it fixed in Leicester. Oh, you should have come to me. I work in a tire factory. Oh, do you now? I certainly would have come to you if I'd only met you before. Their conversation went along in this strain until they reached the house of Bella Wright's uncle. Well, this is where I stop off. Isn't it a lovely cottage? Utterly charming. Will you be very long? No, in a few minutes. It's just these things I have to pick up. Right, then I'll probably wait for you. Oh, all right. Cheers for now. Oh, hello, Bella. <laughs> Look who's here. Bob! Hello, Bella. It's wonderful to see you again. Well, I never expected to find you here, Bob. How's Mikey? Ah, uh, fit as a fiddle. Oh, wasn't that a man's voice I heard outside just before you came in? Huh? What's this? What's this? Oh, him. Oh, he's a perfect stranger to me. He's been riding along with me. My front wheel got loose again. He lent me his spanner. Ah, you should have asked him in. Oh, I didn't want to. It's rather a nuisance, really. He said he'd wait for me, but maybe if I stay here a bit longer, he'll go away. Mm, if it was dark, Bella, I'd say you were unwise, but uh, I suppose on these light summer evenings. But it was getting dark by the time Bella left for home. Her brother-in-law saw her to the door. Bella was surprised to see that light was still waiting for her. 
Here's the man who lent me the spanner. I thought he'd have gone by this time. Hello, you've been a long time. I thought you'd gone the other way. No, I'm afraid I kept her a bit. You see, I, I was paying a surprise visit to my uncle. I hadn't seen Bella for some time. She's my sister-in-law. Oh, well, I expect you had a lot to say to each other. Yes, we had. Hey, that's a very nice bike you have there, sir. Yes, it's not bad, is it? But I think it's too bright a shade of green. Ah, I gather you're not an Irishman. <laughs> I certainly am not. Well, I'm still getting along now, Bob. Oh, it's been lovely seeing you. Uh, you too, dear. Uh, give my regard to your father and mother, will you? I certainly shall. Cheerio. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Goodbye. Bella and her companion rode along some way together, talking about this and that. Ronald Knight thought he was in for quite a pleasant evening, and he was about to suggest that they stop off somewhere before they got to Leicester. I say, what would your answer be if I... Oh, sorry to stop. This is where I leave you. Let's walk in the road. I go to the left. But this lane, the right one, is the quickest route to Leicester. How could you say I'm not going to Leicester? Wherever Bella Wright was going, she didn't get there. About 20 minutes later, she was found lying by the side of the lane, dead. We, re we return with the secrets of Scotland Yard in just a moment with your host, Clive Brooke. We're here at Joe's service station to watch Joe try for the world's record in checking the lights of a car once around brightly. This safety check usually takes 30 seconds to do. Here's a car, and there goes Joe. He's at the front end, checking the headlamps. Now the back end. All lights okay, and the clock stops at... 12.5 seconds. And here's Joe, the lamp champ. I just want to thank my mom, because if she hadn't pulled up in her tiny sports car, I couldn't have gone around so brightly. Thanks, Mom. Drive in now and ask the man Check my lights as quick as you can Takes 30 seconds to go round your car Once around brightly and there you are Once around brightly Be sure to have your car lights checked once around brightly See and be seen for safety And now we return to the secrets of Scotland Yard You've uh, re-examined the body of this girl hmm? uh, Hi, Inspector My first impression was that she'd fallen off her bicycle And hit her head so hard on a stone, perhaps, that it killed her A second examination, however, has revealed a small bullet hole in her left cheek The blood on her face hit it when I first saw her Have you the bullet? I'm afraid, Inspector, that a second hole in the back of her head shows that the bullet went straight through. Beg pardon, I... Inspector. Yes, Cardo? What is it? Well, sir, I went along the lane where the body was found and searched the surrounding ground, the ground surrounding the body, if you catch my oh, meaning. man, what did you find? I found this bullet, sir, about 17 feet from where the young lady was found dead. It was trodden in the ground, like, and I thought I ought to bring it to your attention, sir. Quite right, Carter. Did you find anything else? No, sir. Oh, only a dead blackbird nearby. It had gorged itself on the young lady's blood, by the look of it. I want to talk to the inspector. I am the inspector. Who are you? I'm Bella's brother-in-law. I'd like to talk to you, if I may. There's a rumor going around that Bella didn't die, well, quite naturally. Well, I'm afraid the rumor's true. I regret to tell you that she was shot through the head. She must have died instantaneously. Shot? But who? Well, that's exactly what we want to find out. Now, you can help us. Oh, anything, inspector, anything I can do... 
Thank you. Now, did you see your sister-in-law yesterday? Yes. She visited her uncle in Galby. I'm staying with him for a few days. She dropped in last night. What time did she leave the house? It was about 9.20. And her body was discovered at 10 to 10, half an hour later, about a mile away. I think I ought to tell you, Inspector, that she left the cottage accompanied by a man. I don't know his name. Uh, what was he like? Uh, one moment, Carter. Take this down. Very good, sir. Well, I should say about 35 to 40. He was dressed in a light rainproof coat, and he had a cap on. Mm, height? He was astride a bicycle when I saw him. Five foot seven, I should say. Maybe a little taller. Anything else? Yes. He had a high-pitched voice. Squeaky, almost. And what was his bicycle like? Normal BSA type, but painted rather a bright green. Green bicycle, eh? That should be useful. You say you heard the man speak? Yes. When Bella came out of the house, he said... Now, what was it? Oh, yes. He said, Bella, you've been a long time. I thought you had gone the other way. He called her Bella, did he? Yes. Bella, you've been a long time. I remember it perfectly. Excuse me a moment, will you? Carter, I want you to have this description printed and sent out to all stations. Very good, sir. Sorry I interrupted you. Uh, You were saying that this man called your sister-in-law by her Christian name. So evidently, he knew her quite well. Well, that's what puzzled us all. We'd never heard of a speak of him. And she said when she came into the house that she'd only just met him on the road and got into conversation. I see well, thank you very much for your information. We shall um, have to wait now. We'll keep in touch with you. Shouldn't be beyond our powers to find someone who saw this man. A cycle repairer in Leicester came forward when the description was sent out. He said that just such a man had been in to have a puncture mended early Saturday afternoon. It was obviously the same man and the hunt was on. Seen the evening paper, Ronnie? No, Mother. Anything interesting? All the front pages full of this murder case. It says that Scotland Yard has been called in and £20 reward has been offered for any information about the man who was seen with the girl. Oh, Ronnie, dear. Must you bring your bicycle indoors? Sorry, Mother, it's dark outside. I've only got a bit of fighting to do. Oh, talking of bicycles. The murderer of this girl's riding one, you know. Green like yours. Father, father. All right, all right, I know. Ronnie, dear, I was only saying... I know what you were saying and I don't want to hear it. In fact, I don't want to hear any more about the damn case. I'm sick to death of it. Let the police get on with it, but for heaven's sake, leave me alone. <laughs> leave me alone. Ronald Knight was in a highly nervous condition, but he knew what he had to do, get rid of that bicycle. Having filed off the identification number, he took the machine to the edge of the canal. There, he took it to pieces and threw it all into the water. And into the water, too, went the holster with army revolver. Inside the holster were the cartridges that he still had with him. Ronald Knight went on teaching at the school in Cheltenham, and altogether it seemed as if the case would turn out to be another of those unsolved crimes. But in February of the following year, 1920, a boatman who owned a barge on a canal near Leicester came to the police. He was taken to Chief Inspector Taylor of Scotland Yard. Hello? Hello. Uh, Are you the Birmingham agent for BSA? Inspector Taylor of Scotland Yard here. Would you look through your records and see if you can trace the name of the man to whom you sold a green bicycle? Number PB47296. Yes. All right, I'll hold on. Well, Holt, the day doesn't seem far off when we shall have cracked the toughest nut I've ever handled. You think whoever owned this bicycle murdered the girl, sir? If he can be identified as the same man who had the puncture mended by that fellow clerk in Leicester and who was seen with a murdered girl by the brother-in-law. 
Hello? I say, that was quick. You've traced the bicycle. Yeah? Sold in 1910 to... To who? Uh, could you repeat that name, please? Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Goodbye. Well, Holt, our next job is to trace the whereabouts of a man named Ronald Vivian Light. In a moment, we'll return to the secrets of Scotland Yard with your host, Clive Brooke. If you could see the world through the eyes of your child, what would you see? What would you see? What would you see? Some of the things you see might surprise you. A child only knows his own vision. He really doesn't know if it's good or not as good as it should be. He cannot look through another pair of eyes and compare. It's possible for a child to have hidden vision problems such as amblyopia, which is dimness of vision in one eye, that remain undiscovered by routine vision tests, problems that can hamper his young years and later life. There's only one certain way to find hidden vision problems, and that's by having your children examined by your optometrist. This announcement is brought to you as a public service by the American Optometric Association and this station. The search for Ronald Light was an easy task. He hadn't changed his name or left the country. In fact, he'd made no secret of his profession, his residence, or his movements. He was arrested at the school in Cheltenham where he was teaching mathematics. Chief Inspector Taylor had an overwhelming mass of evidence against Light, but at his first questioning, the schoolmaster knew nothing of this. Uh, Holt, uh, bring that man Clark in, will you? He's waiting outside. Right you are, sir. Oh, and you may as well bring the girl's brother-in-law in, too. Very good, sir. Oh, Mr. Light... I'm putting it to you that you're making your case much worse by lying. It'd be far better for you if you told us the complete truth, you know. I never lie. How can you expect a man to remember something back 10 or 11 years ago? Yes, not only that, and you know it. Oh, there you are, Mr. Clark. I won't keep you long. Sir, uh, how can I help you, Inspector? Well, you can tell me in front of Mr. Light here exactly what you told us after you identified him this morning. Now, Mr. Clark is a cycle repairer in Leicester who says that on July the 5th of last year... Go on, Clark, what happened? Well, Inspector, this man here came in and wanted the puncture mended. Yes, and what color was the bicycle? Green, Inspector. And you're sure this was the man? Oh, positive. He had a Mac over his shoulder and was wearing a cap. Put your cap on, will you, Light? All right. But I still say this is the most ridiculous... No, that, that, that's the voice, Inspector. I'd know it anywhere. I'd swear this was the man. I would. I'd swear it on the bike. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Clark. Uh, you'll probably be asked to later. But what if I did have a puncture repaired by this fellow? Doesn't prove that I was anywhere near Colby, does it? Doesn't prove I've ever met this, this Bella person. But Bella Wright's brother-in-law immediately identified Ronald Light as the man with whom he had seen her on that evening. And so it went on. Fact after fact was brought in. And finally, Inspector Taylor was satisfied that there was sufficient evidence to send to the public prosecutor. The case went to court. I don't suppose there have been many cases where the accused had been in such a hopeless position. And the Attorney General went on to call the witnesses for the prosecution. As he finished his questioning of each one and sat down, all eyes in the crowded court turned to Marshal Hall, everyone expecting him to rise and cross-examine. But all he said was, no questions. It looked as if he realized there was nothing to be done about this case. 
He would probably save his energy for an appeal for clemency from the jury. What you heard was not, Bella, you've been a long time, but, hello, you've been a long time. Life, the prisoner, said, Bella, not hello. Of that I'm certain. I'm absolutely certain. In spite of this certainty on the part of the witness, perhaps the evidence had been shaken a little. This alone, of course, did little to weaken the case for the Crown, but soon it appeared that Marshal Hall was saving his strength for the two main battles, those with the doctor and the gunsmith. In this case, the doctor had brought rather a gruesome exhibit, the actual piece of skin from the dead girl's cheek through which the bullet had passed. Would you take this pencil and pass it through the hole that the bullet made in the cheek? Yes. Does it go through? I just... It just goes through. It, it doesn't go through very easily. No. Thank you. How far away from the body do you think the bullet was fired? I should say from a range of five to seven feet. I put it to you that a .455 bullet, starting on a flight of some thousand yards, travelling at point-blank range at tremendous velocity, would make a much larger hole than the one through which you have passed my pencil. I put it to you that the woman's head would have been almost blown off. I believe it was fired from a range of five to seven feet. I see. Then how do you get out of this dilemma? A bullet going in an upward direction... The wounds show this, do they not? They do. A bullet going in an upward direction at high velocity found six yards away from the body. My theory is that the woman was shot while lying on the ground. And the bullet went through her head into the ground and then rebounded into the road. Not a very convincing answer. And Marshal Hall then got the admission he was wanting. If a bullet was fired without any further resistance than the girl's head, it would be absurd to suppose that it would be found only six yards away. I agree. Unless, of course, it was fired from a long way off. Aye. Marshal Hall followed this up in his examination of the gunsmith. He was trying to prove that the bullet was fired from a long way off and had nearly spent its normal course when it hit the girl. Otherwise, why was it found so near the body? Yes, that the effect of such a bullet on the skull of a human being is almost to blow the side of the head off. It depends on the velocity, sir. Of course it does. But you've just said that the bullet was fired through a rifle barrel, which means that the velocity must have been very strong. Amazingly enough, Marshal Hall seemed to be trying to make out that Light never fired a shot, that the bullet was fired from a distance and perhaps came from a rifle. Was he trying to tell the jury that this was another of those gun accidents? Now, Mr. Light... Will you please tell the jury, in your own words, why it was that you disposed of the bicycle and the holster for the revolver, why you did not go to the police when you read that they were looking for the man who had been with this girl just before she was killed? You were that man, weren't you? Yes, I was. But I left her at the fork in the road. When I heard about the death, I was dreadfully worried, and for some time I was quite dazed at such an unexpected blow. I couldn't think clearly. When I began to think, I couldn't make up my mind to come forward, and I hesitated for days. I could not give the police any information whatever about how the girl had met her death. If the police and papers had only stated the known facts and asked the cyclists to come forward, I should have done so. But they jumped to wrong conclusions, and I was frightened when I saw that I was wanted for murder. Indeed, who wouldn't be when they had no alibi? I did not make up my mind deliberately not to come forward. I kept on hesitating. And in the end, I drifted into doing nothing at all. I drifted into the policy of concealment, and I just had to go on with it. 
The jury was out for three hours and seven minutes. Much of the evidence against Light had been shaken, but the numerous coincidences necessary if Bella Wright's death was to be accepted as an accident seemed too fantastic to be true. The position looked worse and worse as hour after hour went by. The agony that Ronald Light went through during this time was worse than anything he'd experienced in France during the war when he was so close to death so often. Do you find the prisoner at the bar guilty or not guilty of the crime with which he is charged? We find him not guilty. The cheers that broke out were taken up by those waiting outside Leicester Castle. Neither the judge nor the clerk of the court could make himself heard. But at all this pandemonium, Ronald Light had collapsed on the floor of the dock. There he was carried down the steps and by before being released. But don't confuse pink ice with any of the old-fashioned mud packs. With pink ice, there's no mess, no fuss, no need of waiting hours or spending ten dollars at a beauty salon. Pink ice works its pink magic in only five minutes. It's easy to just move it on, let it dry. Almost instantly, you feel it go to work with tingling action, like a thousand bitty fingers massaging away at sagging chin line, loose skin, lines around mouth and eyes. Feel your face muscles tighten. Feel your skin drop firm. It feels like nothing you've ever used before. Pink ice makes your skin smooth. Broadcasting System has presented The Secrets of Scotland Yard with your host and narrator, Clive Brook. In cooperation with the Kraft Foods Company, makers of new... This is Sanford Marshall inviting you to return next week when we will again reveal the secrets of Scotland Yard. $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.